1: Hello, friends and neighbors, and welcome or welcome back to the Bill Press Pod. Well, by now, we all know there's something wrong with Donald Trump's politics and his policies, but some people suggest there may be something more seriously wrong with him. In fact, a couple years ago, a group of distinguished mental health experts published a book in which they say that Donald Trump is so mentally unstable that he's unfit to be president of the United States. And in fact, represents a serious danger to the nation. I gotta tell you, it's a book that I found extremely troubling. I wanted to know more about just how dangerous Donald Trump really is. Is he so mentally ill that it's time to invoke the 25th Amendment? So I sat down with two of these mental health professionals at an office in a Washington suburb. Dr. Gerald Post is president of the Political Psychology Associates Dr. Bandy Lee is Assistant Clinical Professor in Law and Psychiatry at the Yale School of Medicine. Dr. Lee, Dr. Post, good to see you. Thank you for joining us. Um, I want to ask you first, so it was um, a couple of years ago uh, that, uh, Dr. Lee, you put together a group of uh, mental health professionals, uh, published uh, through St. Martin's Press a book called The Dangerous Case of Donald Trump, where you collectively um, issued a pretty strong warning about the mental instability of the 45th president of the United States. that This book came out two years ago. Are you still worried and should Americans be worried?
0: Yes. In fact, we have been impressed at how the events have unfolded exactly as we predicted and according to the timeline, we estimated. We, the book came about because uh, we were talking amongst ourselves and realized that we were all concerned. There was a general medical consensus that the President Donald Trump in the pre- office of the presidency would become dangerous. Um, and we had to deliberate over the ethics of whether we should... Uh, refrain from commenting on a public figure, which we, of course, we need to be careful about, versus the public interest of... uh, We also, as psychiatrists, have a duty to society as well as to patients. And so whether our duty to society obligated us to issue a warning, to inform the public, mainly educate the public of what we were seeing, and we decided overwhelmingly for educating, and that is how we came out with the book.
1: So, Dr. Post, uh, it's been two and a half years. Have Donald Trump's actions as president uh, confirmed your fears?
2: Very much uh, indeed. I'm rather gravely concerned in terms of where things are going with this man. He is someone who I think poses great danger to American society. The tension you spoke about, Abendi, between the duty to educate, the, the duties to convey psychiatric expertise to American society, in contrast to the prohibition on making diagnoses at a distance, I don't think it's even close. To me, there's a, a major ethical obligation for psychiatrists to share their expertise about this man.
1: But, but wouldn't a lot of people say, and a lot of uh, metal, mental health professionals or medical professionals say that, y- y- that psychiatrists ought to stay out of politics?
0: This is not about politics. It has nothing to do with politics. It just happens to be in the political sphere, but it is a response to the medical need that we see. And we are simply applying standard criteria for assessing dangerousness. It's harm to society and public health that we're concerned about, not about politics.
1: So what is the trigger that would prompt you to speak out rather than uh, hold your tongue privately?
2: Well, there's a broad pattern of uh, positions and actions he's taken. Which are really quite dangerous and uh, uh, concerning. Uh, dropping out of the uh, Paris Accord, dropping out of the Ar- Iran Accord. Now I see sacrificing money from childcare in order to put to uh, have the Great Wall of Trump. Uh, there's one after another of these. It's it's too numerous to well, The
1: word you use is, is interesting to me, danger. Is that the trigger when you see a yes. public danger that you feel you have an obligation to warn the public about?
0: Some ethicists would argue that any kind of uh, benefit to society would trigger uh, comment, even on a public figure. But I hold a more rigorous standard, because when we're speaking in public, I do agree that we have to be cautious. And I tend to believe that diagnosing is not possible or not complete, because we don't have the whole uh, set of medical records. But there's plenty of things that we can comment on. And uh, diagnosing is not necessary. Diagnosing is for treating the, the public figure's personal mental health and we're not, uh, the public figure is not our patient. We are not concerned about that. What we are concerned about is society, is its safety and health. And when there are danger signs, when there is, uh, when there are signs that it puts the public at risk, especially existential risk, then that is certainly a trigger. And that's consistent with all our medical uh, guidelines.
1: And so what you're saying is that Donald Trump, President Donald Trump, uh, is a danger yes. to the American people. Yes. Uh, and he's, he warned us, right, that he might
0: be. Yes, yes. In fact, dangerous individuals often tell us what they are willing to do, can do, and might dare to do. And it's important to hear those words, not to simply go to a default of what we think is normal presidential be, uh, expectation, but rather to see the individual for what they are presenting themselves to be. Uh,
1: I was looking uh, at one, page 172 in the book, The Dangerous Case of Donald Trump, um, where one of your authors says, the issue that we are raising, uh, Dr. Pozo, let me ask you if you agree with this, the issue that we are raising is not whether Donald Trump is mentally ill, it is whether he is dangerous. Absolutely.
2: And one without being mentally ill. And I don't see President Trump as being mentally ill. But the aspects of his personality and character are particularly uh, troubling. To, to put this in a, in, a, in a broader sense, I testified twice, and you interviewed me indeed, mm-hmm. about Saddam Hussein, lo these many years ago. And I testified before Congress twice. And afterwards, the president of the Institute of Peace said this was a service of the highest order to the American populace. And I was feeling pretty good about that. And the next day, I got a call from the chairman of the Commission on Psychiatry and Foreign Affairs. And I sat on that commission, too, and he said, Jerry, I wanted to— see speak to you about your profile of Saddam Hussein." And I said, uh, f- me feeling puffed up, my back ready to be batted. Yeah, I said, sure. He said, we have reason to believe you violated the canons of ethics of the American Psychiatric Association. And I said, how is that, pray tell? And uh, he said, uh, well, I presume you didn't interview uh, Saddam or have his permission. <laughs> And I said, "Have you have you read it?" Uh, uh, and said, "Well, no." I said, "Well, maybe you should." And then, and I then proceeded also to elaborate what you were speaking about earlier, Bandy, that there was a duty to warn in psychiatry, and one breaks psychiatric confidentiality when danger is is present, and that uh, sort of was the end of that. But but there's something kind of bizarre about, on the one hand, being told that it made a service of the highest order for the American populace, and on the other hand, it's unethical.
1: Well, this gets to, uh, without your colleague mentioning it, perhaps, the famous Goldwater Rule, which was adopted by the American Psychiatric Association in 1973, I believe, uh, after some people questioned the mental balance of uh, Barry Goldwater when he was running for president. Uh, I'm not a psychiatrist, but as I understand, basically says you do not opine about the mental health of anyone unless you have personally examined that person and have that person's permission. Is that rule, the paramount rule, is it still in place and are you violating it?
0: Well, I would actually like to clarify uh, because I'm a staunch supporter of the Goldwater rule. And it is a reasonable rule, but only in the context of our responsibility to society, because we do not have a primary responsibility to a public figure, but we do to society and to patients. And the Goldwater Rule actually states this. Uh, Psychiatrists have a responsibility to society as well as to patients. And we uh, we are expected to participate in activities that improve the community and better public health. So, if we are asked about a public figure, we should educate the public in general terms, just not diagnose, unless we've examined them and gotten consent from them. Now, a diagnosis, which can sometimes be called a professional opinion, that's different from just any opinion of a professional, um, is, uh, uh, is a very specific activity that we do not engage in all the time. Uh, Diagnosis is only a fraction of what psychiatrists do. In fact, we we diagnose maybe, you know, just a fraction of the the time with patients, but we assess dangerousness every single clinical visit and every moment that we're even out in public because we have a duty to society. And when there's danger, we even break the sacrosanct Principle of patient confidentiality. Now, which is in the law, also. Um, so, with a public figure with whom we don't even have an obligation to confidentiality, and there is no law because that would actually be against the law um, to be restricted in speech in that way regarding a public figure. Uh, that that the American Psychiatric Association would place that small portion of the Goldwater Rule, the prohibition, above every other medical principle is just illogical. And I Mm -hmm. actually call it politically motivated because it's based on politics, the political situation alone. It goes against science. It even goes against our practices of diagnosis these days. Research now shows that whether or not you have a personal interview um, does not necessarily uh, hold the primary Um, place in diagnosing, and and our diagnosing practices have changed drastically since 1980.
1: By the way, uh, Dr. Oppose and and Dr. Lee, it's not like Donald Trump um, hides his light under a bushel either. I mean, (laughs) right? I mean, we see him a lot on television. He tweets hundreds of times a day, right? You have lots of evidence. Let
2: me... um edit one of your words when you talked about the Goldwater Rule. It isn't the Goldwater Rule. A, a colleague of mine, at George uh, Washington, Alan Dyer, was on the original committee, ethics committee, mm-hmm. and it was originally an ethical principle. Mm-hmm. A principle is a guideline. It's not a thou shalt not. And having spent my career doing personality profiles of world leaders and having being considered the founding father of the uh, discipline of profiling. I certainly don't believe my entire career has been an exercise of thou shalt not right. and, and has been forbidden.
1: Do you believe that Donald, so I don't want to put words in your mouth, but do you believe that Donald Trump presents such a public danger that you have a, as professionals a moral duty to speak out and warn the American people?
0: Yes. Yes,
2: absolutely.
1: Um, I know this is not politically correct, but is he crazy? No.
0: I would say I, we don't know. That is the part that is about diagnosis. He's abnormal, certainly. He's impaired. But whether or not he meets a diagnosis, is uh, that is the part that depends on the full medical information. Whether or not it involves a personal interview, it depends on the diagnosis.
1: So, so what are the signs Uh, of abnormal behavior, let's say, uh, or unstable behavior that you see. We hear uh, narcissism. I see him as the
2: quintessential narcissist. And we've had example after example of the traits of narcissism, which he demonstrates. Now, it should be noted, it is not unusual to have political figures having significant uh, narcissism. (laughs) Indeed, the first sentence of my book, Dangerous Charisma, the political psychology of uh, Donald Trump and his followers. And I want you to note that and his followers. This
1: this is a book of yours, which will be out in November.
2: But what, what is really striking the issue of empathy, one of the major traits of a narcissistic personality is he's so wrapped up in himself, so in love with himself, he almost doesn't have the emotional energy to care for other people. And the issues, for example, the dying McCain, who was a, a political leader who I greatly admired, even though there were almost all policy differences between us, but I was always struck by his courage and his, and his principles. And the, the manner in which President Trump really cast doubt upon his, his character was not able to convey empathy for his, his dying and mocked him is just, just dreadful. Or Khan, the, uh, uh, the speaker at the, uh,
1: the Democratic Convention. Here's a
2: gold star father right. who was mocked again by President Trump. Of something uh, that I was particularly struck by, the New York Times reporter uh, who had a congenital plastic mm-hmm. uh, condition, and Trump mocked him, going like this with his, with right. his just just. So there, there seems to be no capacity for. You
1: might add the people of Puerto Rico to that to that list uh, as well after. Uh, after Hurricane Maria, in fact, continuing to this day. Um, deductively, in the book, uh, in terms of danger signs, um, a couple of your uh, colleagues use as their number one example the nuclear trigger, yes. that this is a man, uh, as unstable as he is, who is got a, who has his finger on the nuclear button, which, kind of raises some alarms, or you believe it should.
0: Absolutely. That has been our primary concern and our overriding concern, just because the risk is just um, it's so astronomical that it overrides all other um, refutations, if you will. Um, so when we measure danger...
1: If I could just interrupt you for a second, I just wanted to point out that the title of your, the chapter in your book is, I think it sums it up. He's got the world in his hands and his finger on the trigger. Yes. Whoa.
0: That's right. Go ahead, We're there. in uh, great nuclear risk as it is, uh, having the arsenal to be able to destroy the Earth, destroy humanity and many other species many times over. Um, and it's always on hair-trigger alert. And in, in addition to a bunch of other uh, error-proneness, um, it's it's dependent on one person's decision-making without any checks, without any, um, uh, without any um, ability to verify whether or not the president's judgment is intact. There's only a verification process of whether or not he made an order, and so within minutes uh, he could launch nuclear weapons. And particularly with his personality structure, he would be attracted to nuclear weapons. Um, his his destructiveness in general, his violence proneness, the way he his verbal aggression, his his boasting about sexual assaults, his incitement of violence. Um, among his supporters, his taunting other nuclear powers and his now policies that make nuclear war simply more feasible, all of these things point to exactly what we have been fearing that and, and now renewed nuclear arms race globally uh, are a signs of realization of what we've been fearing.
1: Uh, and you say that pretty clearly again. In the book, collectively with our co-authors, we warn that anyone as mentally unstable as Mr. Trump simply should not be entrusted with the life and death powers of the presidency.
0: Yes, exactly.
1: What sums it up. So, Dr. Post, in terms of profiles of world leaders, I don't know whether you ever uh, did a profile of or published a profile about President Richard Nixon. I'm reminded of Nixon in this conversation uh, because he was so considered so unstable at the end of his presidency that Defense Secretary James Schlesinger uh, actually told people at the Pentagon, if the president orders a nuclear strike, don't do it.
2: Correct. And uh, indeed, we should be very concerned about President Trump as an individual being entrusted with the nuclear button. It's a, it's a very uh, alarming uh, situation to broaden the concern. What happens with, say, uh, Kim Jong-un and President Trump? At one point, had a love fest between them, uh, but now are by no means in, in that place. But it's it's very concerning that this is not a real estate deal, and... Some of the same lessons he's taken from his career in real estate seem to be applied uncritically to the negotiations with this dangerous adversary.
1: Again, good of you uh, both to be with us, uh, Dr. Bandy Lee and Dr. Gerald Post. Uh, Let's hold it there for just a second while we take a quick break. Today's podcast, The Bill Press Pod, is brought to you by the Laborers International Union of North America, one of our fastest growing and most effective labor unions under the leadership of Terry O'Sullivan. Construction workers across the land, good men and women building a better America. In fact, that's their website. Check it out. Liuna, L-I-U-N-A, liunabuildsamerica.org.
3: Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you.
1: pick up where we uh, where we left off um, I, I was interested that right before the book came out right after uh, Donald Trump had been elected some of you wrote a letter to President Obama hmm. expressing your concerns about the mental stability of Donald Trump the president-elect and suggesting that he should undergo a um, an examination, a psychiatric examination, before he was sworn into office. Do you sign that letter, Dr. Lee?
0: Uh, it was not I, but uh, my close colleague, uh, Judith Herman, mm-hmm. and two of her associates, um, Drs. Nanette Gartrell and Dee Mosbacher, who also contributed an important chapter for our book. So that's actually how it all started.
1: And what happened? Did you... Uh... Did did he ever undergo such an examination? Did you get any response from the White House?
0: No, but they started the conversation. They started the public discussion, and that's how I got in touch. Got back in touch with Dr. Herman after uh, a decade or so of uh, not being in touch, and um, and we decided to get together. And that's how I decided to do the conference at Yale to break the ice. When uh, we, st- uh, I started on my own, <coughs> numerous letters to Congress, and when I couldn't get co-signatures from colleagues who were equally concerned but wouldn't put their name onto any document because they were afraid for their uh, for their careers, for their personal safety, for their family's safety, because warning against danger in a powerful Public figure means that you are also putting yourself in danger. So uh, so I felt that there there needed to be some kind of breaking of the ice and a start of the conversation. That was the Yale conference. And so first there, was
1: a letter to President Obama, then a conference at Yale with medical professionals that's right. exploring this issue, yes. which led to the book. this book and the subsequent uh, book with 30, 27. Psychiatrists and mental health professionals in the first one, and 37 yes. uh, in the second one. So,
0: so the first one was an instant New York Times bestseller, and that spoke to us about the public need. That was it was always meant to be a public service book, and to remove any conflicts, we donated all the revenues to public causes. And uh, the sales have remained so high that the publisher asked us for a second. Edition And in the second edition, we explain how the psychological dangerousness has translated into social, cultural, and geopolitical dangerousness. So that's how we progress.
1: Okay. And so what is the next step? Is the next step, as some of you suggest, um, 25th Amendment? Is it time to invoke the 25th Amendment? Do, Do you think, Dr. Post, there's sufficient... Evidence behind um, calling for.
2: I I served on the uh, 25th Amendment Commission, uh, and it's a very complicated problem. Who uh, should be making the judgments, Democrats or Republicans? One would guess they might uh, make somewhat different judgments about the mental stability of President Trump. And it's a, a matter that's been studied rather thoroughly. I recall. When, when I was doing my book, When Illness Strikes the Leader, I interviewed uh, five officers uh, who were serving as presidential. Uh, uh, yeah. And it was very interesting. One of them said to me, this is a complicated question for the doctor to get into because there is one situation I can think of uh, where I would rather have the president disabled than the vice president in power. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so it, it's, a, it's a very complex matter, which needs to be further explored in, in, in my judgment. Right.
1: Um, we talked about uh, his narcissism. Um, one other uh, factor that people mention often is the president clearly, um, is not concerned about facts or truth, I'd say, Uh, lies regularly. I forget now what the total is. Is Some 12,000. Given his mental incapacity, if you will, or difficulties or whatever you want to call it, does he know that he's
2: lying? That's an interesting question. Uh, I've come to believe that often with his Twitters, he just throws out a Twitter storm Uh, And what has his reaction, he then has his staff needing to help erect the policy uh, to to, uh, reward that. Uh,
1: You know, Dr. Lee, he says things that are manifestly untrue, and everybody knows they're untrue. Mm -hmm. And as a reporter, you can't just say the president said this. You have to point out that it's simply not true. Yes. What's in his mind?
0: Well, it's hard to know what's in his mind, but the patterns uh, suggest—the patterns are actually quite consistent in that he has a hard time tolerating reality. And so whether he totally believes in what he's saying or is to the point where he is engaging in delusions, because of his intolerance of reality, um, we know that that it is emotionally driven. Rather than strategy-driven, and the self-defeating uh, quality of it makes that far more likely. But
2: driven by his needs to be an all-knowing authority in every field, mm-hmm. it's really quite remarkable. He knows more about climate than than the, than the consensus of uh, of ninety-seven percent uh, of scientists. He knows uh, more about uh, military uh, than his than his. Generals and in the recent uh, Hurricane Dorian, he apparently knows more about weather than than, uh, Noah. Interestingly, when he's challenged, and this happened recently with his uh, saying that Alabama was a target uh, of of the hurricane, which was manifestly not so, he does never acknowledge making mistakes. And people will criticize him, and he will double down and triple down in in, that. In some circumstances.
1: Dr. Lee, I'd like to... I heard from Dr. Hose, I'd like to get your comment on the 25th Amendment.
0: I normally don't uh, comment on the 25th Amendment because as medical professionals, that's not our area of expertise. But what we can say is what is the proper management? And removing the dangers, containing the dangers, however it is done, is certainly needed. And um, we are forming uh, an expert panel based on medical criteria only so that uh, medical expertise would be available uh, to any political body that would consult us, that we would be an independent, non-governmental body of medical experts um, based on the highest medical criteria, uh, so th- that's actually the group that we're making available for whether they wish to consult us for fitness for duty exams, for presidential and vice presidential candidates, or even the current president.
1: Well, it seems, again, uh, from your book, that you are at the threshold, right, of at least um, at least stating the need for such a panel, Um Uh, If I may just again quote, this is page 193 of A Clinical Case for the Dangerousness of Donald J. Trump. The earth itself is in peril, both from the urgent issues that are not being addressed while an unstable man sits in the Oval Office, and by the new urgencies he creates. Mr. Trump is, and has demonstrated himself to be, a danger to others not just one person or a few, but possibly to all others. I mean, that's pretty strong stuff.
0: But it's correct. And by all standard medical criteria, he meets dangerousness, which is not a diagnosis. And it's about the situation, not the person. If he were a private citizen, if the situation were to change, he may not be such a great danger. And that's what needs to change.
1: So what, let me just conclude by asking you, 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 had the, you wrote the letter to President Obama, you had your conference at Yale, you've written the book, there's been a subsequent edition of the book. Uh, what is next? What are you doing now about this? And what can concern citizens uh, listening to this podcast?
2: do about it. What I've done, emulating uh, uh, Dr. Lee in many ways, uh, is to uh, write a nuanced political personality profile, not only of Trump, but of his, of his followers. And my colleague, Stephanie Doucette, in particular, has worked on the issue of his, the psychology of his followers. And I think this is terribly important. One, this is one person how is it he has so much power and I find very frightening the the Trump rallies yes. with locker up or Mexico or this man has a very powerful capacity to st- stir his followers and indeed to to uh, he, he gives permission to and encourages violence at times and and I find this very alarming.
1: Uh, The title of your book again is?
2: The title of my my book is Dangerous uh, Charisma, The Political Psychology of Donald Trump and His Followers.
1: And his followers. And Dr. Lee, you and your colleagues, uh, next, you say you're working toward establishing this panel. Is that?
0: Yes. And uh, I think what the People could do is to demand to have access to expertise. We have actually been shunned by the media. Uh, We realized um, I have been invited to um, over fifty different on fifty different occasions to many of the programs on the main networks and cable news and uh, and. I've been canceled 100% of the time. When we were doing the March interdisciplinary conference, we were trying to invite the media to come. We had experts from all different fields speaking on how the president was unfit from their field's perspective. And uh, half the networks have told us they could not cover us because of the Goldwater rule. There was an incident where the New York Times editorial board put out a statement, uh, uh, an editorial, stating that the public, that psychiatrists have nothing more to offer to the public than what the public already can see, and which is untrue, of course. And if the public is seeing something, they don't understand what they're seeing, don't have the terminology. But that actually brought all the requests. Uh, In fact, I was interviewing 14 hours a day, every single day, Uh, about a year and a half ago. And networks were inviting us, myself and my colleagues, just as they would on any other topic. Um, When you have questions about mental health, Mm -hmm. it is normal to seek out mental health experts. But with that New York Times editorial, all the requests came to a screeching halt And it was in conjunction with the APA, past APA president. The American Psychiatric Association, I don't know what the government has on them. They themselves have confessed that they were afraid of losing federal funding, which is why they changed the Goldwater Rule into a gag order, because it was no longer a guideline or an ethical rule, but a a prohibition with no exceptions, even in a national emergency. Now, that's very alarming. So... Uh, we have consulted with Congress members who have uh, called us in to speak about our concerns. They have told us that they their hands were tied. This was when they were the minority party in both chambers. Mm-hmm. And uh, so the next step was that we actively went out to the public. That was when I revealed to the public that I met with Congress members. According to ethical guidelines, there's nothing I did politically for it. Um, and uh, and that was when then the APA did a public relations campaign very aggressively to speak out against us, saying we were practicing armchair psychiatry, that we were doing this for self aggrandizing reasons and for political reasons. Whereas I believe that they themselves have been politically motivated and we are simply following medical guidelines and the ethics uh, as outlined by the American Medical Association uh, Code of Ethics by the Hippocratic Oath and the the Universal um, Declaration of Geneva, which was instituted after the experience of Nazism to clarify the humanitarian goals of medicine that either cooperation uh, with or silence regarding a destructive regime would count as contrary to medical goals.
1: It's appalling to hear uh, that your efforts have been met with that kind of uh, response. Uh, but it does lead me to a question I was thinking about listening to both of you. Um, are you afraid of speaking out against Donald Trump? I mean, there's a long history of people who have spoken out against Donald Trump whose careers have been totally shattered, whose reputations have been destroyed, And in that sense, like he's not a very nice man. Uh, Do do you feel that, or have you had any blowback yourself, Dr. Post? Are you afraid of speaking Uh, out?
2: Well, the fact that I'm publishing this book (laughs) demonstrates I'm not afraid of speaking out. But uh, it is a matter of of concern, and this has to do with some of the very traits he does not take criticism, even what we might consider constructive criticism, lightly. No. Uh, He has learned from Roy Cohn, amongst others, how to handle being persistent and never giving up, never apologizing. One of his uh, rules is when you're slapped in the face, slap back 10 times harder. Right. Uh, So uh, uh, this is a man whose public reactions are indeed a, a potent part of the package.
1: How about you, Dr. Lee? Uh,
0: Well, if you look in the media, uh, it seems like I'm the only mental health professional speaking up. Um, But there are actually thousands of mental health experts.
1: Have you had uh, your own experience with people coming after you? Oh, yes,
0: yes. Um, uh, There was at one point when I was receiving a thousand death threats, uh, a thousand threats per day, some of them death threats. And I had to... Just for speaking up. Yes. That was when I was in the media, 14 hours a day. And I was actually thinking of that as kind of a breakthrough point where I was hoping that the thousands of mental health professionals who have come forth and formed an organization, the World Mental Health Coalition, concerned about this issue, wishing to speak up, would then have a chance to have this collective Mm -hmm. protection. But what has happened is that... uh, As I told you, it came to a screeching halt. But there was a good month when I was hiding in my home. um, And if I had to go out, I went out in disguise because my pictures and my office address, everything was posted on the Internet. And they were basically saying, we have to get her before she takes out Trump.
1: Whoa, whoa. Well, I admire even more your courage in continuing uh, to speak out. Dr. Lee and Dr. Post, thank you so much for joining us. And let me uh, assure you, even though you have suffered a a blackout on the part of many people uh, in the professional media, shame on them uh, and on the part of some politicians uh, as well. I can assure you that you uh, are both welcome to come back anytime and the door will always be open to you to uh, come back on the Bill Press Pod. And thank you so much for, for your time today. And that's it for today's podcast. Thanks again to uh, Dr. Post and Dr. Bandy Lee. Thanks to all of you for joining us. We hope to see you again and encourage you to subscribe to the Bill Press Pod if you haven't already done so. It's easy and it's free. Just go to Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, or Spotify. Pull up the Bill Press Pod and subscribe. And if you really want to make us happy, put a smile on our face. Please give us a big, fat five-star rating. That really helps us. Get the word out and grow the podcast. Again, thanks for listening. We'll see you on the next edition of the Bill Press Pod.